Hello everybody and welcome back to this, the second episode in our look at the future of live events on the Drum Network podcast. I'm the editor of the Drum Network, Chris Sutcliffe. Last time we spoke about the opportunities and potential of hybrid events. This episode we're diving into the nitty gritty of hybrid, from the current issue of solving the virtual networking problem, to maintaining the hype pre and post digital event. To begin with though, I asked Emma Bartholomew, who sits on the advisory board for Paradise, to tell us about why hybrid events have become the great hope of the industry over the next few years. Words that, so many bits of jargon that have become part of our Lexus over the mm. last um, 12 months. And we, we, we all love a pivot, so that's one of our <laughs> favourites, but, but a good old hybrid event is um, certainly the way things are looking. Um, yeah. But yeah, people have been doing really well, um, both, you know, just solo artists who've really been bold and really tried to keep engaging their audience. And then um, bigger organisations like festivals and um, digital stream events that have kind of popped up over the last 12 months and have been doing uh, really, really well. Um, yeah, audacity, as you as you said, to kind of really, really uh, push forward. Yeah. Um, it's also, it's a really nice opportunity a time like this which you know that it's difficult for me to say that and not sound complacent or oh no i know what you mean uh but you know you're completely right you know what i mean it's it's nobody's saying it's a good situation but absolutely it's, it's not. an opportunity in some ways yeah exactly so at paradise one of the things i'm really excited about is the conversations that we're having with clients around um the experience so you know something that you might miss if you've been at home dancing away like nobody's watching and they probably aren't because you're on your own <laughs> at home to a live stream or you know a virtual festival or what, whatever it might be you might be missing out on that kind of vibe that that sort of buzz that you get of the pre-gig experience yeah. um and that is something that we're working with clients we're having some really interesting conversations around how to create that to give it a poncy word, ambiance, but to give it more of a gig-like word, a vibe, because yeah. you know, whether you're whether you're a punter, whether you're a, whether you're a member of the audience, um, a fan going to a festival in a field, or you're paying more than you can afford to buy a ticket for a gig, or you are a delegate going to a B two B conference, let's say more 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 that kind of an event. You want to be part of the community if, of the event, if that mm. makes sense. Um, so completely, yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, it's there are so many good examples of people who've done amazing things with actually replicating the sort of the you know the the core of a live experience digitally. You know, even if you yeah. think of individual artists like Sophie Alex Baxter or yes. um, We Are Scientists, yeah. but that actually that halo event that uh, sorry that halo effect around kind of being present for something before it starts and after yeah is something that i don't know that any i've seen anybody do effectively yet you might have a different sort of take on that no i agree i think that it's not necessarily the fault of the artists or the promoters at this stage yeah. or the gig or event organizers i think it's actually the sea change and the culture change that we need from the audience because we're mm. not used to as an audience getting so emotionally involved um, in something that's on a, on a screen, yeah. um, you know? So it's translating uh, the vibe and that connection. Um, it starts pre-gig in the build-up, in the hype, in your social content, in your, in your comms plan, if you mm. like. You know, I've got my PR hat on there where I say that. But, 
it is all that it's, it's really crucial you know I, I guess because i come from that side of things i'm always thinking about you know who are you booking for the event and how can i tell the audience about that mm -hmm. but then when it comes to uh putting a strategy together more on the event organization side it's about uh, how can we build this hype? How can we, um, I mean, especially for, for the audience for this pod, things like how can we partner with brands mm. to make it something that is really three-dimensional and exciting and that I want to be a part of um, as as an audience member from, from the kind of pre-gig build-up to just before the event starts to during and then then afterwards you know am i gonna am i gonna be ordering some kind of uh ticket that has a bolt-on of at-home pampering or a food delivery or yeah. a sampling from a brand a partner or something like that so you can there are loads of ways that you can make it three-dimensional i don't think it's a case of um, event organizers and event producers not being so imaginative or creative yet. I think it's a, char a question of maybe allowing the audience to catch up a bit. Okay, that's interesting then. Is there anybody who you think is doing that really well who's actually offering that audience something to, I suppose, replicate some of that vibe outside of the event itself? Do you know what? This is a really um, unusual example, but it's just the first organization that came to mind when you asked me that question. Mm. Um, and it's not its not some big promoter, it's not Live Nation or anyone like that. It's actually um, a music industry trade body. And it's the Association of Independent Music, better known by the music industry as AIM. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, they bring, they bring the indie side of the music industry together, which is obviously massive because if you think of record labels that represent uh, artists like Adele they are actually indie labels so these are really big heavyweights in the music industry um, and from the very minute that lockdown was announced this trade body um, was really reaching out to brand partners specifically and saying okay we have this awards event for example where we would normally bring together um, our membership and they'd come and they'd get absolutely drunk in, you know, <laughs> in a London venue. We'd put some cool bands on. The event, the um, awards would be announced. People would forget who won what, but they'd have a good <laughs> night and they'd go home. And, you know, there's a good bit of networking going on and schmoozing oh and whatever. God, the, the nostalgia. I'm feeling such nostalgia. I just want to get, I do want to get back to that time. Well, exactly. And we all do. That's mm. a really important thing to remember. But what I was so impressed by with uh, the organisers of their awards and subsequent networking events that they've done across this last year is that, you know, they would very early on partner with these brand partners and you'd get um, hamper offers so that you could order your beer in for the evening and your Italian cooking recipe kit or something with all the gear to go. You know, it was very thoughtful and they were thinking... If, if our guests were coming to a swanky hotel or a swanky venue, um, you know, what kind of menu would, be, would mm. we be offering them? Um, and it, all the consideration down to um, what their um, kind of mission statement is and who they are morally, I guess. And they're, they're very much aligned with sustainability. So everything was sustainably sourced. And there was just a lot of intelligent thinking around it. And it, 
that really impressed me. That might be a bit of a niche example, but um, no, I think it's a great example. Was, yeah, I really, I really respected them for doing that. Yeah, certainly, I, I think it's a great example of you know, an organisation who's recognised that things don't have to be lesser; they're just different. Yeah, and you can absolutely. still adhere to kind of those same core concepts and your same beliefs. Yeah, and express that through your rent. It's just in a different form. Yeah, absolutely. And so, is that the case as well for what we might think of as strict B two B events, as opposed to kind of B two C as well? Who have been sort of the, uh, I suppose B two B in a lot of ways was almost more primed for this than B two C events. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about the difference between B two C and B two B, and in fact, the example that I've just given was a B two B event, um, and I think what they did cleverly was to take into account what they would think of as what the consumer audience might actually enjoy and then kind of think, well, our audience, they're all just human music lovers. They're mm. not any different because they happen to work in the industry. Um, so, yeah, I think um, when it comes to um, consideration for the B2B audience, um, it's 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 almost thinking of it in the same way yes you would call your attendees probably delegates rather than your audience but yeah. you know there's probably a few more branded lanyards going around yeah events, there's so. a good old lanyard population <laughs> definitely and there's a few discarded ones by the end of the night obviously mm-hmm. but um i think um yeah something that um paradise does very well for example is um capturing killer content on behalf of uh clients whether they are facing a B2B audience or more of a B2C um, fan base, if you like. Mm. And the reason that I mentioned this is because that content capture to be kind of bled out in a in a comms campaign pre-event, during event, and then post-event to keep that sense of hype, keep that sense of audience community, that's really important when it comes to the perception of the event. And if it feels like... Um, the quality of that content and the quality of that kind of hype building and that whole the whole machine, the whole vehicle that comes with an event, whether it's B2C or B2B, um, that's where you're creating um, kind of that leveling up effect again. Nice bit of jargon from this last 12 <laughs> months, forgive me. Um, but uh, yeah, leveling up from just um, a more one dimensional event on a screen where you're you know clicking on a link and you're attending some kind of chat room vibe or, um, you know, sort of uh, maybe like a virtual boardroom vibe, adding in this element of, of um, sharing exciting vibey content pre, during and post, that's where you, you, you connect everybody. And, you know, whether it's um, uh, converting the sort of, uh, on the B2C uh, side, converting the audience and the crowds pre-gig or pre-festival experience that you would have in a pub around the corner from a venue or something to to a digital version of that, um, which can be done with cool playlists and cool um, immersive and interactive experiences, for example. Um, and on the B2B side, I guess, making sure that things like, um, aspects like uh, networking are taken into consideration mm. because that you know that can be a bit a bit stiff and a bit fake when you're in a digital landscape yeah, that that to me seems to be such an at the moment insurmountable object we've tried so many ways to make it feel natural to make it feel mm. as though you know it's it's got that kind of you know party vibe yeah. almost that you get with networking but it's yeah 
I don't know whether this is just, you know, us, not just, you know, the work I do with the drum, but outside, we find it very, very hard to replicate that at the moment. Yeah, and, and I, no, I, I think you are absolutely not alone. All of my clients, all the projects that I work on, whether they are in the B2B or B2C space, have that same sense. And I think, again, maybe it goes back to what I was saying before about we've got to sort of educate and, and um, build up the confidence of the audience so all the, all the delegates, the, the attendees, the, the participants um, into feeling that they can get just as much out of digital networking as in person. But, you know, we are humans and we like personal um, interaction. But I think, in fact, this goes back to um, the beginning of our conversation around hybrid, mm. which... Um, you know, we just touched on that really, but I think one of the considerations when looking at the future of hybrid, because that really does seem to be where we're going, this kind of um, blending of the physical with the virtual, um, because we really do think in the event space that uh, digital or virtual is is here to stay. Um, but it, it, there are techn- technological and um, logistical considerations like making sure your live stream tech or platform or whatever your whoever your partner is that that you're um, you're streaming you're broadcasting your event you need to make sure that that is absolutely watertight and any kind yeah. of um, uh, features tech features whether you're bringing in uh, virtual reality or augmented reality or you know any of these things that make it more immersive and more interactive that they're really working completely seamlessly so that mm. when you when you bring in networking that people aren't stumbling on the can you unmute yourself issue that we now still have in 2021 <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, how f- i suppose then the question is how far off that being seamless with you know new tech like xr and yeah you know i'm looking at my own vr headset there and i just uh, I, w- I would love to use it for the kind of that I suppose that kind of seamless interaction with other people during an event like this, but it feels a long way off for me anyway. Yeah, I think um, it might be a bit closer than we think. Um, Nice. Yeah, I think so. In fact, um, uh, Medem just uh, recently published a white paper called Livestream and the Virtual Live Experience. Hmm. Um, it It was published just a couple of weeks ago. And I would, I'd recommend anyone listening who's interested in this space to have a read because it um, it talks about trends, predictions, and examples of best practice in this area. Um, and I think people might um, might be sort of pleasantly surprised when you look back at the success stories of this year. It's really impressive and inspiring. But also, when you look at things like um, on the music side, for example, how how far music has come in the gaming space, let's say, yeah, um, uh, as part of what they call the metaverse, um, that you know these blends, these um, these bringing together of different entertainment worlds and different format worlds through the use of stuff like VR. If you really look into it, I think there there are more examples of it than we might be aware of as kind of general public and working on you know any one of us can only work on a small spectrum of events. But mm. if you if you look more universally and more broadly, I think it's happening um, more than we might realise. And I think, again, you know, it's, it's getting the audience used to using that kind of tech and feeling comfortable with it and feeling confident with it. I think that's really important, not just the event organisers. Yeah. 
I suppose that will naturally happen just as younger people become more habituated to using that kind of tech for, you know, whatever. Yeah. But good to know that we're sort of slightly closer to that than we might think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Good. Uh, you, you mentioned as well at the start that there were some people who were better placed than others to be sort of able to take advantage of this of this new hybrid approach to events. Um, is it is it even possible now for the people who sort of were lagging behind, who weren't necessarily keeping abreast of this, to catch up? Or is that early mover advantage when it comes to events now just too great? That's a really good question. I think that there's two ways to look at it. One is that the leaders, uh, those who have really broken ground in and been the trailblazers, yes, they, they have the advantage in the fact that they're so much more advanced and they're kind of steaming ahead. Mm. But the flip side of that is that those who lagged behind, those who were a bit uncertain and maybe who didn't think this was going to last as long as it has and now become part of the zeitgeist and part of the future of events, um, they can actually take advantage of the learnings from those trailblazers. Um, so I don't think it's too late. Um, I think there's there's going to be a bit of a wake-up call, though, because when it comes to hybrid, um, there, there are different things to take into consideration. Like um, I mentioned uh, comms strategy and, and so on before. If you're... If you're um, organizing a physical event, hmm. then your geographical reach, depending on the scale of your event, if you're Glastonbury, for example, then your your reach is global and people will fly in from all corners of the world to exper- experience the festival. Oh, but, yeah. you know, if you are organizing a smaller scale gig, if it's physical, then your, your reach might be um, necessarily a lot smaller. But if you're planning a hybrid event, and you've caught up with the tech and the logistical considerations that are needed to to um, produce in hybrid, uh, then you need to be thinking that your potential reach, your potential demographic is, is much more global. And you're going to have to adapt your comm strategy, both your social um, campaign in the lead up to the event. You're going to have to adapt that to a much more universal language and possibly kind of work in pockets regionally to to appeal to different elements of the audience. Right. Um, you know, so I say this because it's not just a question of getting the tech right and making sure anyone who's still at home can still have a good as good a, an experience as, as somebody who's able to attend something physically. It's thinking about appealing to a mm. much... It's a great opportunity, but it's quite daunting. Next up, Neil Mason, Executive Creative Director for Invent, tells us about why some of the challenges around hybrid events are no different from those around more traditional formats, but how tech like VR and AR are accelerating those opportunities. To begin with, I asked him about his own path through the industry to date. But, yeah, fantastic. So, to begin with then, I wondered if you could give a quick introduction to, I suppose, your backstory almost, and what gives you the expertise to be talking about the future of live events. Sure. Um, My name is Neil Mason. I'm Executive Creative Director for Invent, and um, I have now have over 20-odd years, I wouldn't want to say any more, but (laughs) 20-odd years of of experience. I I, um, studied architecture. I got thrown into... um, um, uh, the Millennium Dome um, for my students. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy shit, yeah. So, um, 
I, I ended up doing three of those zones in the Millennium Dome. So I was thrown into this boiling pot of curators and the new technologists and, and you know, projections and all this sort of stuff. So I went from architecture, physicality into this whole world of storytelling, mm. um, which is really a baptism of fire. And then through my career, I have gone through the line, literally um, above the line. Um, you know, I've done, I've worked for ad agencies and run big advertising accounts and through digital and then obviously physical and exhibition and, 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 and experiential and touching all of those touch points that the consumer does. Nice. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of, um, I, you know, got to the point now where I kind of think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I suppose until the next big event comes and sort of upends everything that we that we thought we knew. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and do you know what? It's it's changing at a rapid rate of knots now. But um, I'm uh, yeah, I'm ECD for Invent, and um, it's just we have just done the most incredible stuff over the last year. You know, um, nice. Um, basically, turning the tables on what we used to rely on as physicality, and now we are having these incredible layered events and layered and digital hybrid events that um, mm. just, um, you know, add benefit and, and, and um, you know, and participation throughout the whole lot. So, yeah, we're, um, we're really going great guns at the moment where everyone else feels like they kind of um, ground to a standstill or, or shuddered. We're, we're kind of pushing on through. Um, nice. Fantastic. Stuff, yeah. Well, we can get into what you've been doing over the past year and sort of what you think is going to come out of it. But to begin with, I wondered, you know, given your couple of decades of expertise and sort of experience within the industry, I wondered if you could maybe take us through where we were at at the start of the pandemic in terms of the trends that people were really paying attention to when it comes to events. Yeah, so um, the funny thing is, <laughs> at the event, we were, we were kind of, we were in this territory. So we were, we've done some work for General Motors, which was a press launch for a new vehicle. But within that press launch, we gave um, Google glasses out and there was a layered experience. So as the presenter was presenting, um, you would then see more information revealed on top of the vehicle and then also a plane next to it and bringing in all these kind of other things, otherworldly things. So we were trying to elevate that and even for Samsung, if I think back now, um, the, the the sort of um, the need for a, a mobile phone um, to for, for the millennial to sort of do um, broadcast quality on on the fly on 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 the move, um, we put this 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 product at the very heart mm. of the um, experience, and um, we filmed everything through it, and we beamed people in, and this was broadcast over 20, 25 million people. So we were in that place. We were sort of starting to develop and layer on these things. The, the pandemic has just been an absolute sort of fast track and turbo boost in our thinking and implying that, you know. So we were in this territory kind of before we were thinking like this. So it's just just then increased the curve of learning and, and the platforms and the, the sort of, um, you know, diving, deep diving mm. into it. So obviously that was the case for yourself, but for the wider industry then, how prepared were people for, I suppose, what's happened to events during the pandemic? How far down the road towards... That increased, you know, hybrid model were people. Yeah, I, 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 I really, um, I think they're on a back foot. Really, I mm. think um, it really um, separated out the, the the sort of challenges. You know, the leaders. Um, I think not only in my own industry, like experiential and events, but it's it shown through with brands as well. So, um, 
I think Balenciaga, for instance, mm. their um, Brave New World, um, that they took everything digital, the gamification around it. So you could spend an hour, you could spend five minutes or three hours in this experience that you could you could really try out the um, the collection, um, also sustainability. So they would rotate clothes and see what you could buy um, secondhand as well. And they've even to the point where um, they'd they'd um, um, uh, got Polestar to do um, um, brand positioning in there. So they they had oh, nice. Polestar cars driving around and stuff like that. So it for me, it's not about who was kind of doing it wrong and getting left behind. It was really about who was building on success of that Balenciaga experience brave um the brave new world the, the future thinking you know do take a look at that that's just an incredible example of um, mm. of um, product placement to experience and music and fashion all in one thing and gamification so that was amazing um you know there's been a couple of others that have, have risen to the challenge as well especially in the fashion you know and 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 again yeah. automotive you know they they've sort of had to really redefine um how they present to the world because geneva motor show you know for instance is you know that's not on so they got to think of some <laughs> other way of doing it but you could yeah. see who was coming to to the fruition you know you, the, the guys that were reacting very quickly to this you know that was a really interesting space and I suppose the the once you touched upon their fashion and automotive, they were doing this in part because they knew that what with the increased you know consumption and audiences becoming habituated to digital in sort of every sense of the buying process, that they really needed to find a way to replicate that physicality and that that experience of actually going through those products. Yeah, um, you know, it's just mind blowing how quickly pe- people spun on a coin. You know, they. Um, the, the sort of physicality um, that, that people would put. So you would normally get up, you go down to, you know, to London, Milan, whatever, and you go in and you'll, you'll get your ticket and you go and see the fashion show. Now this has just opened up to an enormous new market. Um, like I said with the Balenciaga, uh, um, the world's your oyster. You know, it's literally just unpacking this as a physicality. You know, but then there's this realm of going too far. You need to put restraints on this as well because you could go in and someone literally could be walking around a fashion show or an, an event for, for, for weeks <laughs> unless you <laughs> unless you cap it in some way. Do you know what I mean? I was so, say, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, you kind of artificiality to yeah, where you went with it. You're kind of lost in this sort of um, demo room. But um, yeah, uh, it's just. Um, one, it's opened it up to a whole, whole new audience. Um, the, the world can see this now rather than just 200 people. Um, it's about levels of engagement, the gamification on top of that, and then levels of payment as well. You know, like these guys in, in the fashion industry, you'll pay for the ticket, but then you get this other experience that happens behind. Um, so uh, you would see the show, you'd see the launch, you'd see the real reveal of the car or the, the, the 13, 14 minute fashion show. Um, but there's all this pre-recorded content now that you can really deep dive into. You can go, if you have, you know, if you've earned your tokens through the gamification of the experience, then you can go backstage to the VIP and then, you know, meet other people, deep dive into the vehicle, have mm. one-to-one sessions with them and stuff. You know, So the physicality is just now blown out. You know, we can do whatever we want with it. The world's our oyster. But you do need that cap. You know, you need that. Yeah. You need. You can't. <laughs> this is all new platforms and new technology. Um, it's just about how we kind of um, have the red thread, the storytelling. You know, the, the the points of consumption through it. Yeah, definitely. Well, actually, that then leads nicely on to what you've experienced yourself during the pandemic. So, how has Invent sort of 
built upon the foundations that it had laid previously? How has it sort of transitioned to, I suppose, this this new world where hybrid events are the sort of expected? Yeah. Um, well, we've always had the challenge of mentality. So challenge everything is our mantra. And um, it, it, it quickly became apparent that, um, you know, the, the team that we have at Invent, there's lots of writers, there's lots of visionaries there. And um, it was really about thinking about things differently. So rather than um, um, sort of, um, let's say, for instance, um, Geneva Motor Show, Mm. Uh, that was cancelled and um, we were supposed to launch a vehicle at Geneva Motor Show, a luxury automotive brand um, and um, the sort of challenger mentality or the what if, what if, so if we can't do that, what else can we do? So, yeah. we, so we quickly rose to the challenge and said, well, why don't we take the vehicle to the consumers? These consumers all still have money. They still got money. They want to still want to, <laughs> they still want yeah, to buy yeah. stuff, you know? Um, so we turned around and said, look, um, why don't we build out um, 10 of the best tracks in the world or 10 of the best rides in the world take VR headsets out to the consumer, these luxury um, you know, automotive consumers let them choose from any of the tracks they can customise their car there's this element of gamification there's all this sort of build out around that and then um, funny enough it opened it kept the, the, the funnel open for um, conversation and now there's a two and a half year waiting list for this particular vehicle that um you know, they, they were going, you know, they've they bought. So um, yeah. there's a, there's an absolute need. So the mentality at Invent and that sort of switching mindset, um, you know, we, we we tried and tested these platforms. We've really had some good fun last year. It kind mm. of opened up. We looked at it as a, as a kind of positive. You know, we had the best year we've had in quite a while. So, um, you know, um, it was very successful for Invent. We, we tried and tested, we played and um, um, we, we pushed the boundaries. And this year, for us, it's really about crafting these experiences. Mm. It's really about elevating them to another level. You know, the, the must-go-to hybrid experience with this gamification, with this layered experience, which is all very relevant. So it's very, it's a, it's, it's very much about craft this year for us, you know. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I wanted to touch upon there is, you know, this idea that you can use sort of, you know, those, those VR experiences to sort of, I suppose, try and replicate aspects of the real world. How primed are audiences? How ready are they for that? And it not to be sort of a, I'm a big, you know, I'm a huge fan of VR. I've got my PlayStation VR right here. Um, but I'm just wondering if, you know, how primed are is the regular consumer for that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, Gen Z and, and the millennials and you know, to some degree, my daughter, she's five, so she's alpha, so mm. she, but she's already, you know, <clears throat> immersed in, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, the phone and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we, we are very primed, I think, like you just said, you've got the headset there, you, you're accustomed to it. Um, I think it's about the, that, you know, it's not about who's, for me, it's not about who's primed for it. It's like, I think about 70 to 80 percent people that, that come to these events or will interact with these brands that are doing this will be primed for it mm, okay they will then um expect this very high level of um experience uh, interactive storytelling that's that's the kind of you know it's taking it up a notch it's not about like i refer to balenciaga again you know it's just absolutely mind-blowing that they took it to another level you know it's just like how 
the brands that are going to succeed, I feel, and the, the, the audience is ready for it. Mm. But the brands that are going to succeed are going to just be carving the way forward, you know. Like, uh, so yeah, it's 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 a different question for me rather than I, th I think a lot of people are, are primed. It's yeah. about them walking away, going holy mackerel, <laughs> <laughs> and, and not walking away, going oh, you know, isn't as good as the PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, then I suppose the the question that sort of naturally follows on from that is how much do you have to do to convince brands to try this sort of stuff? How much of your role is consultative, actually going out to people and saying, well, look, this is what is possible now? It's been so interesting, their shift in, um, um, you know, perception and, and willingness to, to change. It's been, mm. it, we have... We have the companies that do what we do, and there is a legacy for for that in some respects for the for the people you know the larger corporate you know the large organisations that do big events. For us, we're very nimble and we can spin on a coin. We can adapt. Um, we're going in and showing some of our case studies to some you know, new clients, potential clients, and, and and existing clients, and it's actually you know kind of blowing their minds a bit. So they're they're. They, they one one part they need hand holding, so we'll help them baby step them through this if they haven't done it before. We'll choose the platform, we'll do all of this, you know, upfront work and and do an absolutely rock solid delivery of a hybrid event. Mm. Then on ice, I helicopter in, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm you know, do you want floating cars? You know, do you want the and, and it's just it's really about where their 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 mindset is God. about change. And I never want to, I never ever want to be in a conversation where somebody says, "Do you want floating cars?" and somebody <laughs> says, and somebody says, "No." You know what I mean? Like imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What you don't you mean you don't <laughs> want floating yeah. cars? Yeah. So. Um, it's really opening their eyes. They know that there is a fundamental tectonic plate shift that's happening, um, mm. and they've, they're under pressure to to do do cutting edge work as well. You know, um, so it's not a hard sell. I think it's more about clients understanding the platforms, understanding mm. the schedule. It's only forty five minutes to an hour, but mind you, we've done. 48 hour global delivered globally those events you know you wait yeah up um but you know it's usually 45 minutes they're launching a product they're talking to the world and the other thing we've learned is is really in the, the client that really latched onto this is about attention span you know how do we mix this up how do we keep them engaged how do you even at a live event how do you not stop looking at your phone or go for a coffee <laughs> yeah exactly and it's about really uh, chaptering the, the the laying out the schedule of that event and chaptering it in a way that has peaks and troughs and interests and you know that's another yeah. thing that they're buying into thank you very much for listening to this episode of the drum network podcast please do forward this on to anybody who you think might be interested about the future of live events or indeed anybody who you think might be interested in any of the topics that we discuss on the drum network podcast week in week out <laughs>